Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. And hello, we are so excited to be on Voice America Radio with the one and only Rachel McChrystal of Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary in New York State. Rachel, you had your Thanksgiving ceremony yesterday. For those who don't know what Thanksgiving is, tell them all about the joyous celebration you had at Woodstock Sanctuary just yesterday. Yeah, we we normally throw a big gala that is our annual fundraiser. Um, Jane, you were an honoree there a couple of years ago. We loved having you. And but the centerpiece is that we we make beautiful autumnal pies for the turkeys because uh, we have a big flock of rescued turkeys who are mostly rescued right before um, the Thanksgiving holiday here in the states. And so we make big pies for them. They eat. They get covered in pumpkin pie, and we just honor their lives and who they are and the fact that they're able to live out their life in sanctuary. So it's really fun. Uh, In this pandemic world, we weren't able to have guests on site, obviously, but we streamed streamed the ceremony um, and we spent some time with people online and had a good time. Not the same as when people are here, of course, but the turkeys didn't really know the difference and they they really loved it. We each got their own little special pie this year, which was really sweet. <laughs> we have a, a newly rescued baby turkey named Zilla, who's only a couple months old and who is the age of the turkeys that are being killed right now um, in preparation for Thanksgiving. And so we really honored, honored her. And uh, she wasn't quite sure what to do about the pie. <laughs> but um, I think next year she'll, eat, she'll be more excited about eating and less excited about exploring. Well, first of all, I know by going to these events, I have really learned about the incredible personality of turkeys. I'll never forget, I was at a dinner party in Pacific Palisades, and there were two rescued turkeys, and they actually joined us at the table. They, it was an outdoor table, and they came up, and when we laughed, they laughed. They participated in the dinner party. It was absolutely, like, magical. And that's when it hit me, how many billion do we kill to celebrate our freedom, to give thanks? What are we doing as a culture? Now, like Charles Dickens said, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. The best of times is that people are starting to wake up to the connection between pandemics and animal abuse and animals in the food system. They're starting to wake up to the health benefits of a plant-based diet, to the environmental benefits of a plant-based diet. Um, Were there fewer turkeys killed this year? I'm not sure and I don't know if you know, but is there a change because people aren't gathering hopefully in in large numbers around a giant dead animal so that they don't become super spreader events that perhaps uh, the culture is changing a little bit and not being so Norman Rockwell with the turkey in the center. Well, that's actually such a good point. So uh, two to three million turkeys are killed every year in the United States and 46 million are killed specifically for the holiday Thanksgiving. They're bred, as you know, Jane, to get 
very, very large um, so that they can be killed between four and five months as very, very fat babies. Um, They're never meant to grow up. They're just bred to get big and big and big, but to be killed when they're still young. And what's actually happening this year is that because people are not having these big gatherings, the farmers have discovered that they've bred them to be too big to sell. So they're saying that because people are instead just staying in their their houses with maybe one or two people, they still want to get a turkey, but they bred these monster babies to be so big to feed entire tables of people um, that now the farmers put them on crash diets to basically try to starve them to be down at the weight that they think they'll be more sellable. So I do think fewer people might buy turkeys this year um, or may not buy the big giant, you know, dead sick babies. But unfortunately they bred all of those turkeys as if it was going to be a normal, a normal holiday. So there will be no lives saved if people don't eat them this year. It's just a tragedy. But I think that's interesting in that, that they've literally bred these babies to be so big that they might be unsellable this year. You know, uh, our society is just, it's sick when it comes to this issue. And the pandemic is a wake-up call from nature saying, hey, go to your rooms, human race. Think about what you've been doing and justifying it with jobs, with economy. We've got to do this. And every, every horror in the history of humankind has been justified by jobs. They justified slavery, saying jobs, economy. They justified keeping women out of the workforce, jobs, economy. So anytime you see people just going for that automatically, you got to grab your wallet and run in the other direction. But now, now it's obviously not an argument they can make because the economy has been devastated by this zoonotic illness that jumped from animals to humans because of abuse of animals, almost certainly in the food system. Yes. Yes, and all of the major pandemics over the decades have been that leap from animal to human. I mean, we're talking about all the bird flus. We are very vulnerable for the next bird flu. So even once we're able to get past this immediate pandemic that we're in of COVID-19, which, as you said, most likely came from a, um, a live animal market, uh, we are still very vulnerable to bird flus. The way that we breed, we we breed and raise chickens and turkeys is basically just rife for the next pandemic. Um, and those bird flus, they leap species really easily, and they're really will likely be the next the next um, major pandemic coming out of an industrial chicken farm or an industrial turkey farm, because those places, they'll have one person caring for literally thousands of turkeys because all they do is kind of, you know, put them in those giant sheds, feed them, and then at the end of their lives, take them out to kill them. And so they're just having all these birds crammed into these areas. They're sick, they're dying. Every animal that we rescue from farms comes in with salmonella, E. coli, parasites. They're so sick. And those animals are our food system. So I, I completely agree. I think that one of the many lessons we should take from our current pandemic is that our food system is completely not only cruel, it is unsustainable, and it is making us sick in many ways. But one of the ways it's making us sick is through these pandemics. And this is an article that I printed out uh, some coffee stays there. China finds coronavirus on frozen meat packaging from Latin America and New Zealand. 
Yeah. I mean, every single hint that nature is giving us. Slaughterhouses have become hotbeds of COVID-19. Okay, they're one of the key hotbeds along with nursing homes and prisons and a few other facilities. And then you have it being a zoonotic illness to begin with that jump from animals to humans. Then you have it popping up. This is not the first report of its kind. Then you have reports of swine flu in China jumping from a pig farm to the farmers. The so-called farmers, they're really not farmers, they're warehouse operators. And then you have you know, the talk of, well, what about that potential next pandemic? Does, does it shock you that the mainstream media is not connecting the dots more, not talking about how do we prevent the next pandemic? This is a zoonotic illness. I mean, there are some exceptions. There have been some good documentaries that run like Sunday night at 11. But during the mainstream conversation, even when they talk about we've got to be able to cure the next pandemic, hello, what about preventing the next pandemic? And from what I've read, and I'm no scientist, but if it does start in a factory farm, because these animals are bred to be genetically similar and they are kept in such large numbers, tightly packed together, if it does start there, it could accelerate very quickly and be far deadlier. Your thoughts on that, Rachel? I think that most media outlets don't go near animal agriculture when it comes to either pandemics or also with um, severe climate change. They, I, I feel like every time I read the New York Times on Sunday and they're talking about this pandemic and there's, there's, never, any, there's never any connection. And I think that's for exactly what you're saying, Jane. It's, it's economics. It's once you start, the, our, entire, our entire country is built on the breeding and the farming and the selling and the marketing and the consumption of these bodies. And it's bred on breeding them in mass and breeding them to be large and it's jobs and it's money and it's our entire ecosystem. It's our entire. But it's not jobs and money anymore. If it's great pandemics that are, yes. And I didn't, I'm not disagreeing. That argument is now gone. It's destroying our economy. It's putting billions, excuse me, millions of people out of work. Uh, and it's now you know, you're reading reports about a bunch thousands of cars lining up for food for food handouts in the United States. Yeah, but so I, how can they argue that this is necessary for the economy? There is so much money in marketing and lobbying. I think about that as somebody who you know works. We're at a small farm sanctuary, and most of what we do is care for the animals and talk to people about the plight of them. And we're just you know, a, such a small voice in that. And I think about the billions of dollars that are being pumped into lobbyists to appeal to our government, to keep the subsidies going to the animal ag industries, to keep all the, you know, to keep, to make sure that our school kids are still drinking their milk as part of the Department of Ag regulations. Um, and also how much marketing is being spent telling people that they need to eat animals and that eating animals is not only good for them, but is natural. And we're fighting against that giant behemoth of not only tradition, but also the, the, all of this money being put into, you know, keeping all of these animals in these giant industrial farms and keeping them sick and then feeding them back to people. So I agree. I think it's, uh, I, every time I see a sliver of positive coverage in a mainstream media source, I feel very happy. 
Um, and I think that's sort of the silver lining of the pandemic is there have been stories about what happens with these industrial farms. Um, like again, the, um, the, the, just the stories about how they breed these, these baby turkeys to be so big that now they're too big to sell to small families or the stories about how they were, you know, the, when the slaughterhouses shut down because of COVID outbreaks, all these farms were killing baby animals on the farm and throwing them away because the system is too industrialized for them to get the animals to market themselves. Uh, I wish they would also focus on the beauty of these animals, of course, but I'm hoping, you know, at least there's small slivers about how unsustainable this industrialized food system is. Let's talk about your amazing sanctuary, Woodstock Farm Sanctuary. It is one of the premier sanctuaries in the world. You see there, we're showing some images from your homepage. What is this, it's time to consider the egg, considertheegg.org. What is that campaign? So one thing that we've seen, Jane, is that when people come and visit the sanctuary, a lot of them realize why they shouldn't eat the flesh of other animals. um, And they've already made strides in the direction of vegetarianism. But oftentimes, eggs is the last thing that people will still be consuming. And so we made a campaign. It's illustrated. It's not graphic. There are no terrible images. It just explains about what actually happens at egg farms, small and large across the country. So the website is considertheegg.org, and it walks through what happens to the mother hens within these systems of farming and what also happens to the babies. And we're just answering very basic questions that we hear, like there's no death in eggs. Um, You know, well, chickens lay eggs naturally anyway. Uh, Just those really like, those questions that if you do advocacy, you hear again and again and again. And we've actually found with that, with that campaign that so many people have decided to boycott the egg industry and to stop eating eggs. As and a- you can have your eggs with just egg now without mm-hmm. any cholesterol. And uh, that's one of the hottest products. Now, with Woodstock, you can sponsor an animal, be a virtual parent to an animal. And then when the pandemic's over, come visit. Who is this baby? A fraternal lodge in New Jersey was raging Ari to be killed for a pig roast. It's heartbreaking that people could meet Ari as a sweet 10-week-old piglet and then see him as food, but he escaped. Tell us about Ari. Ari is a tough pig. He, as you said, escaped when he was 10 weeks old. He was going to be used as a pig roast. He escaped. He ran for his life in the New Jersey Pine Barrens, the woods of New Jersey. And he's been here since he was a baby. And he is the most gentle, loving pig. We actually have a piglet named Marsha who lost her best friend, Harvey, this year. And Ari has become her protector. She's about a quarter of the size of him. They sleep with each other under straw in the pig barn every night. Um, He could easily bully her, pick on her, but he actually protects her and he really loves her. So he is just the most gentle, kind soul. And if he he hadn't escaped, he would have been killed at 10 weeks old. And if he had been in a a routine farm, he would have been dead by the time he was six months old. Let's talk about, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to keep up with the photo. Apologies. Colin and Woody, because you can sponsor these animals, which is a great gift. People, um, part of our world collapse is overconsumption. I frankly haven't gotten a gift I wanted in a long time. You know, um, people buy things that they like, not necessarily that I want. I'd rather have this as a gift or give it as a gift. Tell us what you can do with sponsorship, for example, Colin and Woody. 
Yeah, so Colin and Woody are two beautiful boys that were rescued. Um, they were going to be victims of the dairy industry, just like all male Holstein calves. They were rescued when they were just a few hours old, and they've been at the sanctuary since they're a few days old. And you can sponsor them, and you'll actually get a package. You either they can send it digitally or in the mail, um, talking about their lives, and you can actually sponsor them for an entire year. And right now, in honor of turkeys, we have turkey sponsorships that people can find on our website is one of the main slides. Um, where people can sponsor a turkey. And that's actually really, really meaningful as we mourn the 46 million that are, that are being killed right now. Um, Beatrice is actually, I, I shouldn't say I have favorites, but she is absolutely one of my favorite animals. She is 10. She is, uh, which is incredibly, incredibly old for a turkey of her kind. Usually, um, even if you rescue them, they die sadly because of the way they're bred by the age of four to six. And she is 10. She is the queen. So you can sponsor Beatrice. You get a beautiful package with a turkey card and her photo and her story. And it's a great way of uh, celebrating life and not death. And I see that her beak is seared. People don't even know they sear their beaks off so they don't peck each other to death. Yes. And of course, turkeys are not going around pecking each other when they have enough space. But on these farms, they cut off their beaks. They also cut off their toes. And so they can cram them hundreds and thousands in these sheds and so that they don't kill each other out of the sheer panic and frustration and it's, you know, and just uh, boredom. And so they, they mutilate their bodies without anesthesia and, and, you know, and then kill them and eat them. Well, what do you, how, if you want a sponsor, where do you go? Because I love this idea for the holidays. Uh, I mean, now with the amount of packaging just to get, a gift somewhere or to order something, I would so much rather send this to people I care about. Tell us about Maribeth. Ah, she's an angel. So uh, if people would just go to our website, they can do turkey sponsorships or they can click on the support button and actually send a sponsorship of any animal at the sanctuary. Marybeth is a beautiful Jersey cow. Those are the type of cows that are also bred for dairy production. She was rescued. She has a severe condition. She had like a 2% survival rate. Um, she was surrendered to us because she was likely to die, uh, but she's lived. I mean, she at this point as an adult, um, she's spunky. She is the only cow that has ever tried to chase someone with their horns <laughs> at the sanctuary. <laughs> um, and she's also the littlest cow at the sanctuary. So we really, we love her. She's, uh, she's a spitfire. <laughs> oh, that's great. This, these now of all maligned animals, uh, right up there are chickens. You know, some people even think of chickens as a vegetable. I, I don't really understand. That's why the numbers of, of animals dying is going up because people are moving away from red meat and they're eating more chicken in some cases. Talk to, to us about chickens and their personalities, because I know they are individuals with incredible quirks and personalities. I Chickens, I think, are the most abused animal on the planet. They're the most consumed land animal. So people eat more fish than chicken but um, they are also the most populous bird on the planet. So that more than sparrows, more than pigeons, the average bird on the planet is a Cornish cross chicken who is bred to get very, very fat and be killed at 42 days old. But if you rescue them, they are weird and funny and um, Cornish cross especially are bred to be docile so that they can be really abused. And so they actually really love people and they'll sit in your lap and they'll cuddle with you and they'll groom you, which is one of my favorite things about chickens is if they love you, they'll come up and they'll like, they'll pick lint off your shirt, which is very oh. nice. And they'll clean you. Um, they'll, they're very, very, very people oriented. And they, 
they also form, they really have fast friendships where they'll, you know, they'll really pick their buddies and they'll be very emotionally connected and they'll have these lifelong friendships and, and love relationships. We yeah. just rescued a little, a beautiful little chicken that I actually just found running on the side of the road in my neighborhood and named her after one of my favorite drag queens, Chi-Chi Devane, who um, <laughs> died over the winter or the, over the summer. And so Chi-Chi was rescued at the same time we rescued another little hen and we put them in isolation so that they, we made sure they weren't sick. And the first day we put them in the pasture together, they just were cuddling together and they sleep together and they're the best of friends. They're just, you know, and they can spend out, they could, this is one of the few places where they can actually live out their entire lives naturally with their friends and have joyful lives. So it's really beautiful to see. Yeah. One of the reasons why I love Woodstock Sanctuary is that you guys run everything so beautifully. It's pristine. It's elegant. And I don't know how you do it. Uh, I've got three dogs and a cat. I feel sometimes like I'm running a micro sanctuary. But, um, you know, people come from New York City and I have had people who I've talked to till I'm blue in the face about the importance of going plant-based nothing, zero, zilch. Then they go to Woodstock Farm Sanctuary and they come back and they go, hi, I'm vegan now. <laughs> yeah. Like, like they just started it on their own and I had, and I didn't have anything to do with it because when they meet the animals, they change. Tell us about that and tell us how you're getting around COVID because I would have thought that you could do social distanced tours and maybe you can explain that a little bit. Yeah, sanctuaries are vegan makers. Uh, they 100%, I agree. The people that I thought would never consider it, once they meet animals and learn about what happens to them and know them as individuals, it's a transformative experience. And that's not anything we're doing special. This happens at sanctuaries all across the country where it's just, it's that moment of actually locking eyes with a pig and realizing that their eyes look exactly like our eyes. And then you just can't see bacon the same way ever again. But we, it's, it's actually really touching because we, because we're so close to New York City and that was really the hub of the COVID outbreak here, we shut down completely. So we were close to visitors, volunteers, the public, everything for most of the year. But then we actually did start opening for small social distance tours in the fall. So we did several of those. Um, we weren't able to get the 10,000 people we normally get on site, but we got, you know, we got some. So I think we'll probably do something like that in the in the spring is because I, we just, we have to do it and right. we can do and it. Have digital tours. Tell us about that because I think that's a great way. I honestly think there should be um, an animal on every zoom call, uh, <laughs> including this one. Uh, but tell us about that and how companies can take advantage of that because, you know, people are, we're zoomed out. I do about six a day and people are, are tired of it. And uh, let me say, well, I'm on zoom. Uh, I appreciate the technology. My gosh, I think I'd be curled up in the fetal position, just rocking back and forth if it weren't for Zoom and a few other platforms that allow me to communicate with people like you that I can't, who I can't see in person. Nonetheless, um, I think that what you would do to um, have a sanctuary tour on a Zoom or an animal participating would totally, it totally reinvents the Zoom experience and makes it you know, a happy thing for people who are doing it for work, et cetera. Tell us about that and how people can, how companies and individuals can get involved for birthdays, for, for anything. Yes. Um, we actually participate in a program called Goat to Meeting, which was brilliant branding. I can't take credit for it. It's been, it started by a sanctuary out in California called Sweet Farm. 
And they work with sanctuaries across the country and actually have animals join Zoom meetings. And it's been amazing. So definitely it's all that people can sign up on their website. It's um, Sweet Farm out in California. And then we do a ton of educational live tours throughout the day too and throughout the, the week. We have one that's on Facebook every Sunday at nine Eastern in the morning where you can like really see the animals, get to spend time with them. Um, and then we're doing a lot of pop-up stuff as well. So we really are trying to do that as much content as possible. And I think just trying to bring some joy to people uh, and a little bit of animal time when people are stuck at home in their, in their offices and uh, you know, working from home sometimes for the first time ever. It's been really, it's been really great through the good to meeting program. We, we, we went into thousands of meetings. So we literally got in front of hundreds of thousands of people with, you know, just literally a goat joining a meeting for five minutes, talking about, you know, talking about the work we're doing, talking about how people can support it. And it's, it's people that wouldn't normally go to a sanctuary too, which I actually think is really special. Yeah. And so it's the law of unintended consequences. Uh, it's a challenge. But when you think outside the box, sometimes you can reach even more people because, as you said, these are people who wouldn't even go to a sanctuary. I saw one go-to-meeting video that went viral because it got mainstream media coverage because it was so unique, where they had a cow uh, who was one of the participants in the Zoom, and a guy was eating a hamburger, and he said, oh, uh, no offense. And he thought it was funny, but you know, first they laugh at you, then they get angry, then they join you. Just the fact that he made that connection. Oh, uh, sorry. What a breakthrough, right? Because people are completely disconnected from the fact that they're eating a something that was a living being with eyes, with a heart, with a mother, you know, Uh, that disconnect, um, which is the only thing required for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. I mean, that has been the truth throughout time. And so do you think in some weird way, even though it's obviously been a challenge for everyone, chain on chain included, I mean, we've do, we're usually out there covering marches and veg fests and restaurants and demonstrations. And, and we have a lot of now news anchors who do discussions, but you never know, you know, the law of unintended consequences, especially if you were to be able to get these Zoom meetings in front of executives, people who make the kinds of decisions. Are, are we going to support this dairy product or are we going to go plant-based? Yeah, I think I'm really grateful for our crew because we've just we've had to be creative this year. Our funding is down. We can't have visitors. And so we've been able to just be really creative and and get in front of actually more people than we ever have before. This year, our online campaigns, without spending any money, um, have gotten in front of millions of people. And I agree. I think, uh, yeah, the guy eating a hamburger was not going to drive up to New- to Woodstock Farm Sanctuary and go for a tour. But, you know, his colleagues surprised him on the call with a cow. Uh, and now he, like, he had to make, he was forced to make that connection. And that's, I think that's amazing. And so I I would urge everyone to please, please, instead of buying a thing, whatever that thing is, and I say this, if if any of my friends and relatives are watching, I don't want any gifts. I would much rather have um, a sponsorship of a turkey 
from Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary. And I could take that little plaque and put it up on my wall. I have a couple of them back there and it just brings me joy. I smile. Sometimes I look for an animal who has the same name as maybe my sister or my niece or my nephew, right? Uh, That would be a great way or uh, a new member of the family. So I think it's probably the best time to do something like that. Are you going to have a campaign for the holidays, yeah. uh, which unfortunately have become so much about shopping? I always say in terms of, let's say, for example, I know there's many holidays celebrated, but for example, Christmas, what would Jesus say <laughs> if, if he, he, you know, this holiday to celebrate him becomes all about uh, discounts and uh People fighting each other. Now they're not going to fight. See, they're, they're again, the law of unintended consequences. <laughs> people are not, you know, every year they have those videos that they play on the local news where people have stampedes and they're fighting over a particular object during a holiday sale. And most of the um, consumption that would be considered unnecessary consumption occurs between Thanksgiving and New Year's. So all the wrapping paper, all the boxes, all of the stuff that we don't need to do happens between Thanksgiving and New Year's uh, to a tremendous extent. So this is a great opportunity to, as we reinvent ourselves, and, and I don't speak like from up here, I'm a recovering alcoholic, 25 years of sobriety. So boy, do I know about hitting bottom and having to change. And I recently, over the last year, gave up sugar because it's very similar in an addictive way to alcohol. And during the pandemic, I've been eating healthier whole foods. Uh, I was a bit of a junk food vegan and I put on some pounds. And um, this has been an opportunity for transformation. How can I sit around and tell other people, go to your, nature's saying, go to your rooms and reevaluate and come out a better person if I'm not doing the same thing. And more recently, I'm trying to go to sleep earlier to wake up earlier to be more productive instead of getting up a little bit later and then the end of that day not being productive, watching uh, something on Netflix. Not, nothing, nothing against Netflix. I love Netflix. But you see what I'm saying? We all have to use this as an opportunity for transformation. And so wouldn't it be great if America kicked that horrible packages under the tree thing, which really got out of hand? I mean... At first, I said, I'm not participating. One day I woke up because I was the worst of them. I remember back when I was a local news anchor, uh, maybe 40 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe even more than that. Um, I bought stuff for all my relatives and blah, blah, blah. Then one day I woke up after I went vegan and I go, what am I doing? This is disgusting. It's gross. Then I didn't participate. Then I was like the Grinch who stole Christmas sitting there. I had to find a medium ground. And the medium ground I found was participating in what you're doing, sponsoring animals, giving them so you can give them something that says, here, I love you. But it's also helping the planet. Can you talk a little bit about that campaign that you're going to do to encourage people to take that choice this holiday season? Yes, we're going to be doing sponsorships all December. Um, and uh, we also have a very generous supporter who's going to be matching every gift that comes into the sanctuary. And I, I completely agree, Jane. I feel like right now charities are really struggling and it's a really hard time with the economy and with COVID to raise money. And a lot of, especially small sanctuaries and, and small nonprofits are really having a hard time. So it's a really fantastic time to give a gift, to uh, help out one specific animal and to build, uh, you know, to really connect as well. Um, 
no plastic, no packaging. The cards are recyclable. <laughs> it's a very eco-friendly gift. And I agree. I think we should be embracing uh, more conscious consumerism and not just leaving things in the landfill when we die. And so to leave a legacy of compassion and ethics. I just think that it's great. And the reason I'm mentioning it now is, you know, these holidays are when these kinds of decisions are made. Yeah. And so people, when you're thinking about it, look, again, I'm not coming from up here. I'll tell you the type of holiday shopper I was. Putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, and then Christmas Eve day going, I got to run out and buy a bunch of gifts that I really don't want to buy because I put it off too long. That was me. So I'm calling myself out. If I plan it strategically in advance, okay, I don't have to go through all that. I can make a proactive choice to use this holiday for good yeah. and, and, and get these. So I'm talking to myself too now. Um, so uh, what's in the future? Let's, let's look beyond COVID and think about um, where your sanctuary and sanctuaries in general are going because uh, this has come up recently in conversations. 20, 30 years ago, there were maybe two sanctuaries. Three, there was farm sanctuary, there was animal place, there was Woodstock perhaps, you know, small. Uh, now there's, what, 150 across the country or more? Yes, every, 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 every week I think I hear about another one. So what's the future for sanctuaries? Well, my hope is there's a really amazing movement called the micro sanctuary movement, which you alluded to saying that your house is becoming a micro sanctuary. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, bad joke. <laughs> well, I'm happy to send you some chickens and then you'll, you'll <laughs> really be a micro sanctuary. I actually think that that is the future of sanctuaries where um, we continue to have large nonprofits like Woodstock, like Farm Sanctuary that are doing this work uh, and really focusing on the outreach and the education and able to do large scale rescues, but that actually farmed animals will become people's companions because, and that's what really the micro sanctuaries are. There is there somebody that has, you know, like five rescued goats or, or two pigs or 10 chickens that they can really pay for their care themselves and really treat them as their companions, just like they would have a couple dogs in their homes. And what that means is that you have farmed, farmed animals, just living with people in environments that are good for them and healthy and they're just part of your family. And I think that's actually a beautiful future of advocacy because we don't eat dogs in this country, not because dogs are so different than pigs, but because we see dogs as companions. So if pigs are just integrated into our lives as companions, we're likely not going to be eating them. So I, I personally think that's the future of sanctuaries is that uh, I'm happy to see all of, you know, that everybody has a sanctuary near them now within driving distance that they can go to, which is so amazing. But you also probably have people that are just living with chickens in their apartments in New York City that they rescued from live kill markets. And those are probably your neighbors. And I think that's really, really beautiful. And as we hopefully shut down farming, there are going to be these refugees from farming that need to go somewhere. And I hope it's people's homes and backyards as well as sanctuaries. We're going to take a quick break here on Voice America Radio, but we'll be live on Facebook, so we'll be back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. 
Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance, featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right, we're here with Rachel McChrystal of Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary. Uh, folks, a lot of folks commenting on Facebook, I believe in micro sanctuaries and they will be the future Danielle Jones says, I am dreaming of having one myself. And uh, so a lot of people love that idea. My idea is that as zoos and circuses go out, the exploitation of animals for entertainment, people will have that craving to see animals. Sanctuaries provide that experience in a way that is not degrading to the animal, is not cruel to the animal. They're designed for the animal in mind. They don't trade unless it's needed for medical reasons. They don't trade like using them as property. They don't breed. So one of the things that I see is sanctuaries developing uh, themes. So uh, this sounds a little bit kooky, but I'm going to throw it out there. Um, I could see, for example, a Western town sanctuary where the kids could be brought in. They would have that experience of going into a Western town, which is something that everybody loves. That's why the theme parks create Western towns and Western themed uh, exhibits. But instead of roping the animals, they rescue so we get to redefine what it means to be a frontiers person or be um, what that iconic cowboy or cowgirl is. And so the kids have that experience, but mixed in there is the lesson that, well, this is how they did it. Maybe the jail could be a museum of some of the torture devices that they exhibit on animals, for example. But this is this is the way we do it now. We are evolve cowboys and cowgirls, something like that, where you could take your kids, you could have birthday parties, you could have events, and yet it would, it would generate income and it would attract kids and others who are looking for that experience. Because let's face it, people want to go out and be entertained. 
No matter what we say, even in COVID, people are going to extreme lengths to have their Halloween experience yeah. uh, in cars. Like that's something very fundamental in the human experience. They want to go out and, and have fun. So what are your thoughts on that? Like we're, we're kind of here talking about you run this incredible, elegant, pristine, beautiful, well-manicured sanctuary but there's going to be other sanctuaries, perhaps, with other other themes and other um, hooks. Let's put it that yeah. way. I think the 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 thing that I think we have to keep in mind with all of it is that the is making sure that we don't. And it's it's tough because people come to our sanctuary sometimes and they think it's going to be a petting zoo, uh, and they expect to be they 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 expect that they're somehow. Uh, entitled to a certain level of engagement with the animals like well you know that cow doesn't want to come up to me and it's like well that cow doesn't have to come up to you because it's her home and if she doesn't want to come up to you it's her choice <laughs> um so i think there's uh, i think what we we struggle with sanctuaries is really to make sure that they don't we don't feature the animals as entertainment but i agree with you i feel like as we pull out of these of petting zoos and of of the antiquated zoo model um, and we return to more wild spaces and hopefully more sanctuary spaces, uh, people have what has actually been diagnosed as a nature deficit disorder. And I think that's why we're so eager to have contact with these animals is, is we really miss that in our lives because we don't have that in our day-to-day lives. And so it actually, you hear about forest bathing, people just going out in the forest and just like being near the, being under the trees is this Japanese term. It's the same sort of thing where it's like, we really, there's something very inherent in us that, that wants to commune with other species. And unfortunately through the prism of, of human exceptionalism, it's become zoos. It's become petting zoos. It's become, you know, forcing animals, uh, like, you know, forcing animals into our homes who shouldn't be in our homes, like parrots and macaws and all the, the whole exotic trade, you know, because we are so eager to have those connections. And so I think in this idealized world, as we, as we move into spaces of sanctuary and not of exploitation, we do have to find ways of people to c- continue to connect with animals, because I think it's something very unique to our humanness that's taken away. Um, I agree with you 100%. And I'm glad that you brought that up because um, while some of the folks uh, commenting say, wow, awesome, Jane, love it. Love that idea. <laughs> I think you have a lot of people lining up. <laughs> so we, there's the danger. And one of the things that somebody explained to me a long time ago, the difference between a zoo and a sanctuary is zoos are designed for people. That's yeah. why they keep animals in small enclosures because otherwise the animals would go hasta la vista, baby, and go off. They don't want to be there on display. So they have to keep them in close containers, imprisoned, so that people can see them without having to wait or without going and not seeing an animal. Sanctuaries are designed with the animals in mind. So precisely what you said, if this particular cow doesn't want to come up to you, that's her decision. She can walk off and that's that doesn't impact uh, the, uh, that's the way it is. Sorry, you yeah. know? Yeah, and, and wild animal sanctuaries like the elephant um, sanctuary in Tennessee, uh, they don't have visitors at all because it's like these are wild animals. An elephant probably doesn't want to be seen by you. So they're just going to go off into the hundreds of acres <laughs> and you can come and pick up their poop and volunteer, but you'll likely never see them. <laughs> um, the good thing about farmed animals is, is they have been bred over thousands of generations to actually genuinely like people because they've been bred so that they can be exploited and so they're basically like having a bunch of golden retrievers 
They're not wolves. They're all these beings that have been bred to actually genuinely like you. And so they actually really, in general, really love people and want to voluntarily engage. Um, so I, I think- teach us so much about unconditional love and forgiveness that it's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Yeah. That could really love works. people after what most of them have been through. Yeah, we rescued a cow named Joe in January. She's actually the face of our new dairy campaign, and the website is meetjoe.org, M-E-T-J-O. She's named after Joanne MacArthur, the amazing photojournalist and activist who who we just love. Um, But she was from a a very small farm, uh, had all of her babies taken from her, was chained by her neck um, on this concrete pad, had welts on her side because she was so skinny and she had to lie on concrete. And she was terrified of people and wouldn't come near us for months. And I went through her pasture yesterday and she was just sunning herself with all of her other friends and wasn't even nervous that I was there. And I, and is finally coming up and like, you know, asking if we have treats and asking for pets and really her face looks relaxed. Whereas for the first couple months, she just looked terrified. Um, So yeah, they, 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 you know, with, with some exceptions, uh, they, they tend to really, even if they've been through such trauma, um, farmed animals tend to start to want to really spend time with people. And yes. And just so you know, when, when I suggested that, I wasn't suggesting deviating from the sanctuary theme at all right. or the rules. But I'm just saying that creating unique identities, yeah. let's put it that way. And I um, think it's so important from a, yeah, it's, how are we gonna? How are we gonna fund all these places too? It's really that, expensive. So making it fun, in a sense, in a decorative fashion or a thematic fashion, doesn't necessarily mean compromising ethics. I just think we have to think outside the box. I agree. And just like you've thought outside the box with your digital uh, tours and with all the other things you're doing, I think it's really important to think outside the box and be creative and imaginative. And making it something fun doesn't make it cruel. Yeah, I agree. But, I think yeah. uh, the, you know, the, the thing that always weighs heavily on me is that when, you know, we have baby animals. So you showed the picture of Colin and Woody, who are just mm-hmm. two years old now. They're little, little cowboys. And um, they're going to be here until they're 20. And so when we say yes to baby animals now, we're saying yes to taking care of them for the next 20 years. And that's a promise that we take really seriously here at Woodstock Sanctuary. And so, like, it's trying to figure out how you're going to fund that because there's no millionaires giving you millions of dollars in the sanctuary world. Um, there, you know, and most foundations don't fund animal rights groups. So, so you're really like constantly struggling for ways to get funding and for being creative. Yes. Well, speaking of that on a big picture uh, basis, there's been a lot of talk about, again, thinking outside the box. Uh, there's uh, for example, a theory that if, all vegans simply gave up alcohol and used the money that they would spend on drinks, we could hit the tipping point within a month. We would have more money. Yes. And so there are things like that, um, that uh, people do. Now I gave up alcohol because I'm a recovering alcoholic more than 25 years ago. Uh, And boy, did I save money because I was one of those drinks for everyone types. Yeah, Jason, uh, I told you that um, I, I've been sober for five years and oh. your sobriety story was one of the ones that I read when I was struggling with alcohol and trying to figure out like what the, what, yeah, you know, the, the brain where you're like, what would yeah. my life be like? I can't even imagine what it would be like if I didn't have this. 
<laughs> so I really, I actually really loved your personal story. Um, and it was one of the many, you know, the minis that I read when I was trying to make that decision myself. That makes me so happy. Yes, I wrote a book called I Want My Journey from Addiction Over Consumption to a Simpler Honest Life. And, you know, it haunts me sometimes because then I look at myself and I go, am I living a simpler life? <laughs> you know, that's why I'm glad I said simpler, not simple, um, because it's progress, not perfection. But thank you for that. Um, but yeah, there are things that we can do as a movement, as our numbers grow, to use a certain thing that we might have spent money on and just divert it. And I've been trying to uh, discuss with uh, animal groups creative ways to get make it a fun game, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what are we going to give up in order to fund this? And for example, uh, oh, I, I'm just using a silly example. Let's say you gave up chewing gum, okay? And somebody might say, here's, here's what happened. A long time ago, um, when I was a TV journalist, there was a report from a consumer reporter about how you could save $1,500 a year if you gave up paper towels, which I immediately gave up. Unfortunately, during COVID, I've had to start them again because of the COVID, but they're 100% recycled. And as soon as this is over, I'm going right back to just using a cloth. Um, but as I realized, I said, oh my gosh, people are struggling. You hear stories about people not being able to put food on the table. If you took the money you spent on paper towels and just put that you know, into what your necessities are, but people don't think that way. But we can think that way as a movement and get people to make commitments of, I'm gonna give that cup of Starbucks up once a month and that's $4 uh, a, a month, $50 a year. Uh, if I gave up, uh, Starbucks once a week, that'd be $200 a year. If I gave up, so to make it a fun game of what are we going to give up and give in exchange, you know, could be a fun way to generate money because as we grow in numbers, if we each gave a little bit more, we could really hit the tipping point. And so, you know, that's the other thing is trying to think outside the box on those issues of, of fundraising. Yeah, and I think that goes into your anti-consumerist message that you were talking about around the holidays is that so much of these things that we're buying, we and for everyone it's different, but we may not need and just causes waste. And of course, you know, there, there are unknown hidden animal victims usually at the end of that waste because if you throw away the plastic that your paper towels are wrapped in, the, that plastic is likely going to be eaten by a, a frog or a turtle or a bird at some point. And so the, the, the more we can like minimize that harm, it saves money definitely, which we can divert, but it's also just, it's, I think living smaller, it's just, we should all, you know, I'm not perfect either. We should all strive for it as much as possible. So um, as we wrap up, and I know you're a very busy person, so I appreciate the time you've taken, give us, you know, a recap because you're doing so much at Woodstock Sanctuary. As I was going through your website, I was like, I can't even keep up. There's the egg campaign. There's the thanks living campaign. There's the sponsorship campaign. Give us a, you know, an overview. Yeah. I, I feel like even in a pandemic, we've managed to be busy the entire year. <laughs> I don't know how we did it. Um, so we are uh, primarily just taking care of 400 animals right now. 
Um, but as part of that, we are doing advocacy on their behalf. So I really recommend people check out our dairy campaign, meetjoe.org, egg campaign, consider the egg.org. Check out our turkey sponsorships on our main website, which is woodstocksanctuary.org. You can also sponsor any of the animals on our site. Um, if you don't see them listed and there's someone you fall in love with on social media, um, you can just put their name in on the sponsorship form and we can set up a sponsorship for them. But we are uh, constantly rescuing. Even in a pandemic, we've taken in 75 new animals uh, wow. because, um, you know, the world might have slowed down a bit, but the need for rescue and a far- for farmed animal advocacy never slows down. In fact, during crises, it expands. So we have uh, continued to do that. Um, I'd also just recommend if anyone doesn't follow us, uh, we're Woodstock Sanctuary on every platform and following sanctuaries is a really good way to keep your, your heart joyful. Um, I think a lot of the animal stories that come out really bring me down. Uh, I'm happy to learn about them, but they make me really sad. And sanctuary stories are stories of resilience and thriving and of joy. And I don't know, I feel like we all could use that right now. I am so thrilled that you took the time. I know you're a very busy person, (laughs) extremely busy. Uh, And you're in High Falls, New York, which is, I think, about an hour and a half outside New York. I've driven there. And you have 400 animals. How many acres do you have? It's 150. So part of that, we're really trying to make it a rewilded space as well. So part of that is woods. So um, we're hunting season right now in the Hudson Valley. So we have a bunch of deer that are hiding in our woods from the hunters and we have ducks. So uh, it's not all for the pastures, but about 150 acres. It's really, as you say, it's a beautiful space. We're very lucky. Well, I think it's excellent that you're doing rewilding. There's a lot of talk now about rewilding, obviously being a solution to climate change. Most um, wild areas, forests, et cetera, are destroyed for cattle grazing. It's happening right now. Uh, Jane Unchained just did a uh, fundraiser for a group trying to rescue wild animals out of the Pantanal, the world's largest wetlands in Brazil. The Amazon's on fire, the Pantanal's on fire. And uh, what what the solution is, is to rewild uh, grazing land and farmland. And if we eliminate animal agriculture, we wouldn't need that much land to begin with, because animals eat at least 36, perhaps a lot more, depending on which expert you talk to, of all the crops grown. So I want to thank you, Rachel. Uh, you are amazing. I just am so impressed by everything you're doing. Everybody support Woodstock Sanctuary. And I think it's that simple. WoodstockSanctuary.org. It's linked right at the top of this uh Facebook Live, go there, start your holiday shopping right now by instead of buying a thing, rescuing a being, sponsoring one of these animals, and you get a beautiful little plaque that you can give as a gift. It's all wonderful. And um, let's just keep evolving during this challenging time. Thank you again, Rachel. Thanks, James. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.